edition of the Sports Hog Podcast. As always, I'm Max Zucker, and on the line is Mr. Sean Conway. Sean, how are you doing uh, this week? What's new with you and Lindsay and Carbondale? Not too much. You know, this morning Danny came over and uh, we had some things to talk about, and then we watched uh, the beginning of the Masters this, for this week. We watched oh, the, right. uh, the featured group with Tiger Woods, and then the Irishman Shane Lowry obviously had a keep my eye on that so looking forward to watching some golf i'm not really a big fan of golf but i always like to watch the masters uh outside of that just been cooking some good food i did sous vide steaks again over the weekend but what really took the top spot on things i've made recently would be the pumpkin sage ravioli that i made the other night i found these at aldi so if if you are fans of pumpkin flavored things Get yourself to an Aldi and look for the pumpkin sage ravioli. Okay. We did it with uh, with ground Italian sausage, and I served it in a, like a garlic, pesto, butter, white wine uh, sauce mixture that I that I made up. And let me tell you, this was hands down one of the best pastas I've ever had in my entire life. It was so good. I'm telling you that. Lindsay sent me back to Aldi yesterday, and I bought seven more packages of this pumpkin sage Holy ravioli, smokes. and we made another dish of it last night with a different sauce that, in my opinion, wasn't as good as the first sauce we made, but it was still a very phenomenal pasta. I mean, so good. Pumpkin sage ravioli. You know me, I'm a pumpkin slut, and that <laughs> was so good. I will try that, actually. That does sound good, and there's, like, seven local Aldi's, like, right by my house. Like, literally, I can get to seven of them within 20 minutes, some within three, even. So, I will try that out. Uh, that does sound good. I didn't really make uh, too much this week, and I think a couple of you know I've had stomach issues, and my stomach just hasn't been 100%, so I haven't done uh, too much testing of the waters this week. A lot of postponements in football this week that we'll get to, so, Sean, I'll probably watch a little bit of the Masters, too, even though I'm not... Hi, on uh, watching golf, I feel like that's something you know grandpas do. Essentially, no disrespect, but uh, just not my uh, not my day to day type watch. But I'll probably watch some due to all these cancellations that we're going to get into. But first, let's get into our next edition of the bids and snubs portion of our football bracket. Sean, we're for our bid side. We have a tight end going against one of our favorite running backs in Matt Forte. He'll be taking on uh, tight end Vernon Davis. Sean, why don't you get us started with uh, with Mr. Forte? All right, Matt Forte, Forte was just an anchor of that Bears offense through a time where their defense was phenomenal and their offense was absolutely abysmal. Matt Forte wow, was one of the shining shack. lights for that Bears offense for years, especially during the the transfer from Lovey Smith to Mark Tressman. And ugh, I mean, just the dark ages I like to refer to him yeah. as for the Bears for the Bears years. But he had eight years in Chicago and then a, a final two years with the New York Jets. Two time Pro Bowler throughout his career, both those with the Bears in 2011 and 2013. On the rushing side of things, phenomenal running back. Just under 9,800 yards. Four yards shy, I should say, of 9,800 yards in his career on the ground. Averaging 4.2 yards in attempt and 54 touchdowns. On the receiving end of things, just as productive. 46.72 yards and then per attempt, 8.4 yards of reception when he was receiving. And 21 touchdowns to add to that for a total touchdowns of 75 total touchdowns. 
had 14,468 yards from scrimmage, averaged five yards a touch on 2,900 touches throughout his career. Absolutely phenomenal. I think Forte might get the edge here over Vernon Davis, who also had a very phenomenal career. But, Max, why don't you tell me about him first before we make our final decision? All right, sounds good, Sean. I mean, Vernon Davis, very good career. Uh, Two-time Pro Bowler, one-time Super Bowl champion with that 2015 Denver squad. He played in a second Super Bowl, that Harbaugh Bowl, actually, when he was on the losing side with Jim. Um he it ranks in the top 10 in a couple categories by a tight end, Sean. His 7,562 yards receiving is 10th most by a tight end. His 63 uh, receiving touchdowns is 6th most by a tight end and 68th on the all-time uh, ladder. And he led the league in touchdowns back in 2009 with 13 and his 583 career reception, Sean, ranks 90th all-time. He was just a force. I mean, watching uh, Vernon Davis and Frank Gore, that was one of the best tight end running back uh, uh, tandems we've seen you know, in the league in history, Sean, together. They were able to get to a couple playoffs again and that Super Bowl together. Uh, I like Vernon Davis. I think he's got a good shot maybe down the line, but he's you know he's not like Grant good. He, so... Uh, I, what not? Why not have Matt Forte move on for one more round? Fair enough. Fair enough. So we're going to have Matt Forte move on here. And on the snub side, it this one's really a toss-up. I mean, honestly, you and I were talking about how this is going to be decided, and a coin flip might have been the most effective way, fair and effective way of, of deciding this. So on my end, I have middle linebacker, and I mean quintessential middle linebacker, I mean, I put him up there right with the Brian Erlackers of the the late 90s and early yeah, 2000 li- middle linebackers. You know, quintessential when you think of, of a dominant middle linebacker, Zach Thomas was right up there. 12 years with Miami and then that final season with the Dallas Cowboys. Seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, 93 through 2003, as well as in 2005 and 2006 then he was a five-time first team all pro in 98 99 02 03 and 06 he led the league twice in combination tackles with 156 in 2002 and 165 in 2006 and then looking at his career numbers some of the numbers that he has they didn't start recording until midway or uh later on in this in the uh, in this career so those numbers could be skewed or not fully telling like tackles for loss he had 74 tackles for loss recorded throughout his career however those were only started to be recorded about four years into his his career combo tackles he combined for over 1700 tackles and over 1100 of those were solo tackles 20 and a half career sacks 17 interceptions with four of those ending up in pick sixes 16 forced fumbles and of those eight recovered as well I think he he was just a very a, a huge force to be reckoned with defensively, and I, I feel like he has a shot somewhere down the line. But why don't you tell me about your guy here before we make our final choice? Yeah, talk about a guy who's had a shot for down the line. It's been 36 years for Randy Granishar. Man, I'm surprised this guy. This guy might be the biggest snub that we've seen, Sean. And I'm going to get into that uh, into those reasons. First off, Granishar is a seven-time Pro Bowler, 
two-time All-Pro, and was the 1978 AP Defensive Player of the Year. 20 career interceptions, three of them returned for touchdowns, 13 fumble recoveries, one of those, of course, returned for a TD. But that puts him, Sean, in the 2010-7 club. And all nine other linebackers who have those credentials are in the Hall of Fame, so I'm surprised that Gratishaw is not already there. Now, again, we, he also played before uh, unofficial or official tackles uh, came around, which was 1994. Uh, his playing career ended in 1983. But unofficially, so again, we don't know this, so we have to kind of take this into hindsight here. But unofficially, he would have finished with uh, 2,049 tackles, which would be second on the all-time list next to Ray Lewis and would be 315 more than Zach uh, Thomas. And Thomas would have played 13 seasons professionally compared to Gratishard's uh, decade of success, essentially. It's just absolutely mind-blowing that Randy Gratishard is not in the Hall of Fame. It, to me, 36 years, you look at this resume, you look at all the other linebackers that have gotten in, Sean. A lot of these guys with the 2010-7 club, it only took them one or two times. 36 years, and this guy's still waiting. Where Zach Thomas was uh, a first ballot last year, I'm sure Zach Thomas will get in next year. And if not next year, definitely on his third year of eligibility. But for 36 years, this is a snub and a half. And I, do, I really think that Gratishar has to go on. All right, fair enough. I can't argue with that. I think Gratishar had a phenomenal numbers, especially for playing a shorter career. I think that one will get him to move on, as well as Matt Forte on the bid side of this this week and that'll do it for this segment of bids and snubs on the flip side of this we're going to bring you up to speed on things going around the nfl you're listening to the sportsaholics podcast with max zucker and sean conway taking us to break yet again would be dj cumberbund this week with his pretty humorous tune i think it was pretty funny detroit rock lobster you're listening to the sportsaholics podcast
All right, that was Detroit Rock Lobster by DJ Cumberbund. That combined Detroit Rock City by Kiss and Rock Lobster, which I don't even know what band sings that, to be honest, but always funny to, uh, to say silly that song. combination of music, among other things. But uh, one thing that's not really amusing would be if you were a Panthers fan having the highest paid running back in NFL history getting all these nagging injuries. He's only appeared in three games this year, Christian McCaffrey, I should say, and he won't be after uh, after returning week nine from his you know high ankle sprain that he suffered in week two. He uh, he got a shoulder injury late in the loss to the Chiefs in week nine this past weekend, and has been ruled out for this coming week for the Panthers, but has a chance to play Week 11 versus the Detroit Lions. He's cleared in three games this year, 225 yards with five rushing touchdowns. Also paired that with 17 receptions for 149 yards and a score through the air as well. So the Panthers, who despite losing their 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 you know biggest you know ball carrier throughout the game, for much of their season they've they've struggled somewhat, but they've kind of pattered along just enough to still remain in the discussion for especially once everything gets healthy. I think the Panthers, once McCraft can come back, if he can be come back and healthy, they can make a good run at the end. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people's fantasy hopes are uh, relying on that as well, Sean, that he comes back and saves saves the day for them in fantasy. Um, Baker Mayfield, he'll be activated from the reserve COVID-19 list. He will start, Sean, versus Houston this weekend. He was in close contact with a staff member who tested positive after two now uh, negative tests, and Cleveland was on that bye last week, so he is good to uh, go. So let's get into the game of the week, Sean, which is the Buffalo Bills taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that game will be in Phoenix. Sean, I want to talk about quarterback play and a little bit about the running situation before uh, you put your two cents in for this game. I think it's going to be a great game. Again, 7-2 and two Buffalo, 5-3 and three Arizona. Uh, two great quarterbacks, obviously. Josh Allen, uh, over 2,500 yards passing, 19 touchdowns, five interceptions, uh, 241 yards on the ground with five rushing touchdowns. This kid's just having a phenomenal season. Uh, definitely looks like he'll be getting a massive contract extension at the end of the uh, year. So it's been fun to watch him and watch this Buffalo team compete each week. I'm curious to what... Buffalo's going to do in the running game, Sean. Uh, Devin Singletary obviously named their opening day running back, but recently over the last two or three games we've seen rookie Zach Moss really carry the load. So it'll be interesting um, which uh, how uh, Buffalo's going to utilize their running backs this year, uh, this week, again, between Singletary and Moss. Last point uh, for me is, again, the other quarterback on the other side, Kyler Murray. Man, this kid is looking like a potential, maybe MVP, at least putting himself in that top five discussion. Uh, 2,130 yards passing, 16 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Uh, and he's also leading the ground game for the Cardinals with 543 yards rushing and eight 
rushing touchdowns already through the season. That means he's averaging a rushing touchdown per game at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how you're going to slow down uh, those two quarterbacks in particular. Any thoughts on that, Sean? Well, you know, as much as you think the, the quarterback play is going to deter the outcome, I really think the defense wins games, and especially in this one, it's going to be telling which defense shows up. The Bills are looking to grow their win streak to four as they're coming off that statement win over Seattle last week. However, Seattle has a really poor long ball game, and that's how the Bills killed them this last this this last week. They're coming into a different animal when they come in to face the Cardinals, whose defense has been absolutely phenomenal defending the long ball. Arizona only has only has 22 plays that have gone more than 20 yards this season. Only four of those have gone for more than 40. On the other side wow. of that, the Bills' defense has not looked as tough as they did last season, and if they can bring that in, that might help their their, their chances on, on staying in this one. The They have been allowing... Uh, on defense this year, seven yards, a, a pass attempt at nearly 68% completion for their opposing quarterbacks. So, I mean, if you're coming in and facing Kyler Murray and company, you're going to need to reciprocate that offense on the other side. I think it should be a shootout just like how it was for Buffalo and Seattle. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, it, it's going to be a good one, probably a really close scoring game. I couldn't agree with that anymore, Sean. I think, again, that's why it's going to be the game of the week. It should be a fun, fun, fun game uh, to watch. But let's take a break here on the Sportsaholic podcast. On the flip side of this break, we'll be talking, man, it seems like we've been talking a lot of football already, but we'll be talking some college football and a new uh, AP Top 5 uh, to get to right here on the Sportsaholic podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune into the Sportsaholic Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. A lot of college football going on. Huge upset for Notre Dame, Sean. I don't want to talk about it, really, because you know how much I'm not a Notre Dame guy. <laughs> but go ahead. Why don't you then lead us into the top five, because I can't believe it happened. Yeah, you know, we talked about it last week. Notre Dame and Clemson should be interesting because they were playing without Trevor Lawrence, you know, Clemson side. And it turned out in Notre Dame's favor... Notre Dame might actually be a real deal this year. They're playing in a conference and they're they're starting off hot, seven and zero, taking the number two spot. They moved up to the number two spot there after that win. Alabama taking the top spot, six and zero. Notre Dame seven and number two. Ohio State at number three at three and zero. Then Clemson falling to number four at seven and one. And the first two out would be Texas A and M at five and one, and Florida at four okay. and one. To do the first two out, Max. We talked like it's I kind of. It's been an interesting. It's been an interesting week of college football news, hasn't it? Yeah, and I kind of teased this because we were talking about the Masters earlier on the show because of all these postponements that we're going to see this week. One in the Big Ten, Sean. That would be Ohio State 
Man, that stinks for them. They are not going to get to play uh, Maryland due to the coronavirus. And then four in your beloved SEC conference, including number one Bama taking on LSU. I know LSU is, I believe they're two and two, and they're not that good this year. All those guys went to the NFL. I get that. But still, Bama, LSU, year in and year out, is something that I like to watch just as a football fan. So I'm disappointed that won't be here, Sean. I'm sure you are too. Other postponements in the SEC would be number 24 Auburn taking on Mississippi uh, State um, number 5 Texas A&M and Tennessee has been cancelled and Georgia Mizzou has also been cancelled man so yeah it's been uh, a rough correction week. those were postponed the SEC uh, games yes. were postponed. postponed Ohio State Maryland was cancelled cancelled yes yes yeah we gotta clarify that uh, some other things staying in the Big Ten actually Ohio State not Ohio State Iowa, I should say. Yeah, Ohio State has enough problems. I don't need to talk about their problems. Iowa, their football program has been having some issues as well as a fourth Iowa football player announced plans to transfer in the past two weeks. That would be defensive back Deron McKinney who announced that he is joining running back Shadrick Bird, linebacker Yahweh Judy, and receiver Calvin Lockett who have all announced their plans to transfer since October 29th. All these players, though, had limited to no playing time, so not much of a shock in this one. But there is, there's, there's more going on there than it really seems, right, Max? Well, I mean, you think about all the stuff that happened, all the allegations that have come about the Iowa football program in the last year, and really in the last six months, when you were last few months over the summer, there was a lot of former Iowa Hawkeye players specifically speaking out against the culture and climate of the Iowa football program. One of our uh, offensive linemen on the Bears, uh, Sean Conway, James Daniels, who played under Kirk Ferentz, said this over the summer, so I know this is a little bit long ago, but he said there are too many racial disparities in that Iowa football program. Black players have been treated unfairly for our too long all four of those young men who left uh, the program were uh, black. So it just goes to speak to say, Sean, was it really about uh, playing time? Or, you know, again, is it more about uh, the climate and culture, again, of this uh, Iowa Hawkeyes football team? You know, and I always liked and supported Carrick Ferris, but the more and more of these allegations I hear, I got a feeling he might be the next uh I guess, quote-unquote, great coach to be canned. All righty, all righty. So that's all we really had on Iowa. We're going to stay in the Big Ten for our game of the yeah, week this week. Yeah, we are. With all these cancellations, this is really going to surprise y'all on what we have as our game of the week to watch. Coming out of the Big Ten, number 23 Northwestern, 3-0, and taking their talents to West Lafayette, Indiana, taking on the undefeated 2-0 and Purdue, unranked. 6.30 kickoff on the Big Ten Network. And, you know, Purdue's getting their first real test of the season in this one because they had one-score wins to start their season over Illinois and Iowa, which obviously are struggling. And then they had that game scheduled with number 10-ranked Wisconsin that got canceled due to COVID issues. So Purdue, uh, looking at their first test as they're coming in, or they're as they're uh, they're welcoming, I should say, Northwestern to the uh, to the state the, the to West Lafayette, I should say, <laughs> and uh, 
you know, this is it's it's gonna be interesting to see if the Boilmakers can uh, get their first three and conference record start since two thousand three. Key players in this one for the Boilmakers will be their quarterback, obviously Aiden Connell, who has started, you know, not too bad, but nothing all that impressive. Really, their 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 weakness, I would say, would be their offensive line, allowing him to get sacked six times and had two interceptions off of hurries. Has five five passing touchdowns, seventy percent completion rate for six hundred fifty yards. So if he can have a good game against Northwestern's defense. That'll be good for the Boilermakers offense. On the flip side, Demarcus Mitchell, the man in the middle for the secondary for the Wildcats. 17 tackles, 10 of those being solo tackles, and one being a sack and one pass defended. If he can have a strong showing on defense and shut down that Northwestern offense, it could be a good game to watch. Hey, it's definitely going to be, again, with all the cancellations and postponements. I'm a Big Ten fan, so at least this has to. If you look at the Big Ten West, obviously Northwestern's on top and Purdue's right behind. This is why this is such a crucial and critical game uh, already in the season. You kind of alluded to it, Sean, but Iowa's not having a great year. Wisconsin's really not having a great year. Minnesota, Nebraska, and Illinois, I don't have to explain their story. So this is a kind of a must-win game for the Big Ten uh, West for both uh, for both teams. Uh, Purdue has won uh, five of the last six in West Lafayette, including the last four. And for them to win their fifth consecutive there, Sean, I got two keys for them. Obviously, their first is they're going to have to run the football effectively. Northwestern is 29th in rushing, averaging 205 yards a game. They got three runners with over 100 yards already, uh, including Drake Anderson, who I think a lot of people know his father, more Damian Anderson, the all-time Northwestern rushing leader. Well, his son is following great in his footsteps, averaging 5.5 yards per attempt, 193 yards and two scores on the season. Isaiah Bauer, the junior running back, 155 yards in the score. And their quarterback, Sean Payton Ramsey, is got over 100 yards and a rushing touchdown as well. So it's going to be key for them to run the football again effectively against Purdue. Uh, and obviously, you kind of talked about Aiden O'Connell earlier. This is a guy who is a decent enough quarterback, completing 70% of his passes for 653 yards, five touchdowns versus two interceptions. So I think the secondary for Northwestern is going to have to play exceptionally well in coverage. Uh, two key guys to look out uh, in their secondary this weekend, Sean, would be Brandon Joseph, who leads the team with three interceptions. And then, of course, senior defensive back J.R. Pace, who has an interception on the season and last week had uh, seven tackles. So I think it's going to be a good game, but I'll take Northwestern as the victor here. Like 26-20 is what I'm smelling. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. That's all we really had for college football. We're going to take a quick break, and on the flip side of this, we're going to dive into Major League Action. we got a lot to talk about. Listen to Sports Talks Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. Hey, it's Max Zucker here on the podcast. Many of you know that besides podcasting, I also work as a teacher. As a teacher, I value education more than I do sports. More than 34 million adults in the United States do not have a high school diploma. 
Recent data says that roughly 30% of adults with household incomes at or below the federal poverty line do not have a high school credential. If this is the case, as an educator, I encourage you to check out finishyourdiploma.org. They help you find free literacy centers, adult education classes, and you can hear stories from those who have successfully completed these classes. So if you need to earn that degree, I, again, I truly encourage you to go to finishyourdiploma.org. Welcome back to the Sportsaholics podcast. Award week in the MLB. The MVPs will be announced later this evening, Thursday. That'd be November 12th for all who are listening. It's at roughly 3.45 right now, Central Time, on this wonderful Thursday. And the Cy Young winners were announced last night. And there was no surprise at all on the American League side. The first unanimous choice in the American League since 2011, the Indians' Shane Bieber dominated in 2020, setting an MLB record with a 41.1% strikeout rate, recording the lowest qualified ERA, 1.63, I should add, since 1969, and tying for the lowest opponent's average at keeping them at 167 since 69 as well. I mean, that's pretty impressive, albeit for a short season. I would love to see that hold up, but Shane Bieber is going to be a force to reckon with in the AL Central for many years. Trevor Bauer, we'll see where he goes as he's that pending free agent, but he's also the National League Cy Young Award winner and the first Cincinnati uh, Red to claim the award as well. He claimed it, Sean, by getting 27 of the 31st place votes giving him 201 total points. Darvish would finish second and DeGrom third. Uh, his case was pretty darn good, though. He led the NL in ERA with a 1.73, led it in whip with a .79 opponent's batting average against at a uh, .159, and hits per nine innings at a very whopping low 5.06. He was second in the National League in strikeouts with 173 innings pitched, and also making him second in the NL in uh, Ks per nine innings at 12.33. So, congrats to Trevor Bauer. Uh, Sean, what do you got for the AL Rookie of the Year? For the American League Rookie of the Year, you know I really wanted Luis Robert, but I knew it wasn't going to happen because he was fantastic. In July and August, but then he he withered away in September and had that slump. Obviously, he wasn't going to get it. Can't be mad at the one who got it, though. Unanimous selection to Kyle Lewis, the center fielder from Seattle. And he was the second rookie to lead his team in batting average, home runs, runs, and walks. They have a 262 average, 11 home runs, 37 runs in general and 34 walks and i'm pretty sure he also led his team in sports center top 10 appearances yeah. with all those home run robberies that he had his rookie season so congrats to kyle lewis well deserved and well earned yeah and don't feel too bad sean i think robert uh, career at the end of the career will be the better player so don't feel too bad there uh devin williams who i alluded to last week i thought he would steal this one he's that milwaukee reliever sean who gave up only one earned run in 29 innings pitched and only surrendered eight hits with a whopping 0.33 era uh no uh no uh no surprise there real quick on the 
uh, NL Manager of the Year before you get to AL. Uh, Don Manningly taking it home for the Marlins with 124 first place votes. Chase Tingler of San Diego got 91 and took it uh, and was second. That's who I would have selected. However, Manningly does win. Uh, he brings the 105 losses from 2019 to a playoff bid for the Marlins uh, this year. I can't talk about the Marlins anymore, Sean, so uh, go ahead with that AL uh, MGR. All right, the manager of the year also coming from Florida would be Kevin Cash for leading the Rays to their first AL East title since 2010. Despite actually only have, uh, having 13 players on the IL in September in the beginning of September throughout the season. Cash implemented 59 different batting orders in the 60 game season and tied an MLB record for using 12 different pitchers to record a save. Pretty phenomenal year. I think the the one blemish I would say on, on his his uh his resume isn't even on taking on the resume for manager of the year because it happened in game 6 of the World Series when he pulled his pitcher in the sixth, his, his ace pitcher in the sixth inning, like a Rick Renneria looking ass. And Rick <laughs> Renneria got second in the voting for American League. So that's no just surprise. saying on what, on, on what it was. So, so there are your winners for manager of the year this year. Like I said, the MVPs will be named tonight, later tonight for both the AL and the NL on the MLB network. Uh, Staying in the realm of managers, the White yeah. Sox have been uh, making some some headlines with their managerial pick. We, uh, we spoke about have. Tony Larusa being chosen as the pick. Uh, you know, I think it was two shows ago, Max. Yes, and I wasn't exactly sold on it. I was just starting to warm up to the idea of having a Hall of Famer. You know, second most wins all time. Third. For a manager, or nearly second most wins all time for a manager, he will he will get that by the end of the season. I was looking forward to it, and then this news comes out that he got a DUI or was arrested on a DUI back in February, and the formal charges were filed the day before he was hired, and it just goes <laughs> to show that this whole hiring process for Tony LaRusso was a big bungle, and it. I mean, it's it's a big blemish already on, on what it was. He got one back in 2007 during spring training when he was manager for the Cardinals. And this one happened when, when he was working with the Angels during spring training in Arizona. He uh, Apparently, he, he blew a tire on the Arizona highway and then blew .09, allegedly, uh, during the test and was arrested for DUI. And this is where it really gets mad. His ego was taking over. He was showing his ring to the cop, saying, you know who I am? I've won a World Series. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. Come on, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, that's not the way it works, though, Tony LaRusso. You don't just get a break. You still are a United States citizen. You still have to, unfortunately, follow the laws. It's definitely now a new... A newer story, I did see that the White Sox will not comment on this issue uh, until it, the, you know, the federal part has been reserved or the court system part, I guess, has been, uh, you know, reserved on this portion. Involved, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Other news real quick in the White Sox before we move on, Max? No, I got uh, this the too. Sox, the Sox are expected to hire Ethan Katz as their pitching coach within the next week. Katz 
is Giolito's high school and off-season pitching coach. I figured that'd be a nice little side piece. There are some moves being made in the coaching staff for the White Sox, despite this little hiccup with uh, with the with the second DUI for for La Russa. I don't think it also, though, real quick, though, Sean, looks good, though, is uh, Marcus Stroman, who accepted yesterday an $18.9 million qualifying offer from the Mets. I don't think it looks good when he says, quote-unquote, no amount of money, honestly, that, that, that. Peace of mind is always priority. And if he would join the Sacks in free agency, he also said, quote-unquote, about uh, the signing of Tony LaRusso, baffling on all measures so i think stroman's a pretty well netted guy i'm glad he's going back to the mets and going to make 19 million dollars essentially good for him but the fact that he's speaking this highly against the manager he's never played for man this is not seeming like a, a dream so far on the south side Antony. yeah well you know that's just one guy's opinion honestly Marcus Stroman was was vocal about his opinion. Another pitcher who's a free agent this offseason has been vocal about it, and he says he doesn't think it really is going to just to, to uh, you know change or you know help decide his decision on where he lands this offseason. And that would be Trevor Bauer, and that's someone the White Sox really should focus on getting this year this offseason. And he even said in a, in a twenty minute video yesterday that you know he potentially could see himself being part of the White Sox organization later this offseason. So he doesn't think the Tony La Russa incident is is that big of a deal. The hiring itself, that's a different conversation for a different day, but he doesn't think the DUI itself is going to affect free agents from coming. No, I don't think that. I just I, I think it's more about, again, Tony La Russa's overall uh, you know, demeanor and how he's going to handle this younger core of players. Again, you already saw it, your boy Tim Anderson already speak out about it. You know, if he's going to continue to bat flip whether LaRusa wants him to or not. He's going to play his game. So that's what I'm saying. Now let's finish that context, though. Anderson also said he's also excited to pick his brain and learn more about the game once him and Tony can interact. So he was saying he's not going to change the way he plays, but he's excited to have Tony on the team with him. So it, it wasn't completely negative coming from Tim Anderson, but he was saying he's not changing the way he plays. And LaRusse has also been on record saying he's not going to be expecting his players to play like the way he expects them to play. Yeah, he's going like to let the, him play yeah, the way exactly. he wants to play. They right. want to play. Sure, absolutely. Um, one, one last, last bit of, yeah, of managerial news say, for that. Max, why don't you take the lead? Yeah, uh, man, Alex Cora, who we briefly mentioned, he was hired right uh, as we were closing up our show last week, Sean. Man, I just don't like what he had to say. I, you know I'm not a big Alex Cora guy. You know I wish he got a lifetime. But this is what he had to say. He said, um, I was spending time in my own home for the wrong reasons. I deserved what happened this year i'm not proud of it in the end i got my penalty and served it boo i'm sorry yeah you know it's not often we like to swear on this on this show but i'm gonna go ahead and just drop it fuck you cora go fuck yourself yeah right on right on brother i can't agree with that i just go what a pissy pissy statement 
from, oh, now it's like, oh, wow, you literally used Ryan Renneke as your scapegoat for the year. Terrible year. Throw him, and now we got Alex Cora back. Shame on the Boston organization, uh, more so than Cora, uh, for bringing him back. That just, to me, does not look good for baseball. You had a lot of other good managerial candidates, including an in-house guy like Sam Fold, who we mentioned last week on the show, Sean, who I thought would have been a great first-time uh, manager. True shame to that I organization for agree. bringing such a piece of SHIT cheating cheater back in, in, in the scape of that. Boo. Boo well, boo, that's boo. just Boston sports for you. They like their cheaters. They welcome it. That's their thing. They thrive on it. <laughs> no, but you know what, though? Last point on this is with Hinch and with uh, Cora back, and more so with Cora, um, I if I'm if I'm a Yankees fan or if I'm a White Sox fan, you know, I'm looking at Detroit and Boston's, you know, I'm looking at those games and making sure that those games are being played fairly. All cameras are going to be on those dugouts this year, and they should be. I agree. And they I should agree. be. I agree. All righty. Well, that's going to wrap up our baseball talks for the week. On the flip side of this break, Max is going to have some trivia. I'm going to have a tasty beverage to talk about, and we'll have some more. Stick around. We're listening to the Sports Hogs podcast. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that. But you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Welcome back to the final lap here of the Sportsaholic podcast this week. Sean, we were talking about some award winners in baseball. And Trevor Bauer is one of the guys I talked about. I mentioned that he got the first... Cy Young in the franchise history of the Cincinnati Reds, which, by the way, this is so weird that they're getting their first Cy Young award ever. They've been in the National League since 1890 legally, so congratulations for that. However, Sean, there are three other franchises that have never taken home a Cy Young trophy. So who are the three... Other French or who are the three franchises currently without a Cy Young winner to their name? I'll give you, uh, you know, three strikes until you're out. Well, I know the Marlins have got to be on there. The Marlins is correct. They have not gotten the uh, a Cy Young award winner. Okay. Um. Let's see. What about the Mariners? Uh, incorrect. Uh, I believe King Felix. Oh, yeah, you're King right, Felix right. was. Um, what about the Rockies? Yeah, think about. It. I was like, that one should be the easy. Like nobody's ever gonna win us. If you win a Cy Young for the Rockies, that could be a truly historic Cy Young season. And one other team is not one one. I don't. I would not think any of the historic friend like long. It's you know not the Cubs, the Pirates, you know the Tigers, long franchises. Can you give me a division? Uh, AL West. West. Not the Angels, because they had some pitchers for a while. Um, uh, I think Nolan Ryan won one there. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about the Rangers? Oh, Bart's, 
No, Bartolo, yeah, there you go, there's your answer. But Bartolo Colon for the Angels was their last Cy Young Award winner wow. in 05 when he beat out your guys. Yeah, the Rangers would be the other team, Sean, that have never had a Cy Young Award winner, which is not surprising because if you look at the parks they have historically had, besides this brand new one that they just uh, built this last season, those have been terrible pitchers' parks. So no surprise either on that one. Nicely done on trivia. Sean, what are you sipping on, sir? Today, I am sipping on a tasty Irish red from a local brewery slash vineyard, uh, Von Jakob Brewery and Vineyard in beautiful Alto Pass, Southern Illinois. It's got a 5.3% ABV, 22 on the International Bitterness Unit Scale. It's a malt-focused beer with an initial sweetness and a uh, roasted dry finish. Smooth beer, kind of dark reddish copper color. And the, I feel like with this one, it's a bit different than the Irish Red at Molly's. Um, a little okay. bit more sweet. Um, less floral, a little bit more sweet in the beginning, and then the dryness at the end is a little bit more noticeable. I wouldn't rank it above Molly's. I couldn't do that to them. They're, they, every beer they make is the best beer in the world, obviously. But this is a very good Irish Red. I would put, <laughs> this, I would put this pretty close to Smittix if, if, if I wanted to. You know what? Nice. This, is, know this would be like a Killian, what a Killian's is to Smittix. Would be a good comparison of what this one is to Molly's. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. I can, I can, I can get that reference then. Absolutely. No, and I know how much you like your Irish Red, so I'm glad you found another one to the treasure collection. Essentially. All right. Before we get to what we missed, I wanted to get to the Masters leaderboard real quick, and then Max, you tell us what the the rest we missed. Leading off the sure. field right now after the first round would be Paul Casey at 7-under after the first round. He's followed closely by Webb Simpson, tied for second with Xander Schauffele at 5-under. They're all finished on the day. And then we've got a handful of people tied for fourth, one of those being Tiger Woods at 4-under. I watched his, his round today with the Irishman Shane Lowry, who... Did not finish that stellar. He's two over par right now. However, fun week of or fun weekend of, of golf to watch. There's no one there. It's pretty uh, quiet. You can hear the ambulances drive by Augusta National there, and that's kind of annoying. And uh, you can hear all the drones that are flying above from the from the production crew. It's weird. You thought golf was quiet, and then you took away the fans, and it got even more quiet. Max, what else do you uh, miss this week? Uh, that's good. Uh, just the others to, uh, on the qualifying offers in Major League Baseball. We mentioned that Marcus Stroman did accept him. Uh, his 18.9 million QO from the Mets, as well as Kevin Guzman of the Giants. He was also locked in for that same price next year. Uh, no surprise that the Big Four declined their uh, qualifying uh, 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 Offers obviously Trevor Bauer did so, but so did DJ LeMahieu, JT Lurie Muto, and uh, Mr. George Springer. So no surprise there. Also in baseball, Sean, the Los Angeles Angels have named Mr. Uh, Perry Mynasian uh, as their new general manager. He comes from the Atlanta Braves. Obviously, he will replace Billy Epler who was fired after five seasons. 
Uh, Perry is only 40 years old, and he has done a lot of work over the last uh, 15, 20 years or so with the Braves. So it will be interesting to see how well he can uh, adapt to life in Los Angeles. But no surprise, obviously, that the Angels were going to shake up their front office this year. Uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, which is going to be on Sunday, February 7th. It's going to be the weekend to uh, premiere Sean at the halftime show. Nothing like the weekend, so another really exciting Super Bowl uh, <laughs> matchup. Or halftime, I should say. Uh, mercy, mercy. All right, what do we got in Fight Corner? All right, Fight Corner got some uh, news that the main event that was going to be against Rafael Dos Anjos and Islam Makachev got shaken up because Makachev reported that he had a staph infection and would no longer be able to fight. So the man who was going to be color commentator for the fight, Paul Felder, the Irish Dragon from Philadelphia, is stepping in on five days' notice to take this fight against an absolute killer in Rafael Dos Anjos. So that's going to be the main event. Felder 17 and 5 on his career with Dos Anjos at 29 and 13. And then I would say a rather stacked main card with most of the fighters boasting very few losses in their careers going head to head. The prelim card, not so great. Still fun to watch the up and comers though. They'll start at 3 on ESPN Plus. The main event starting around 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. Felder versus Dos Anjos. UFC Fight Night, Saturday afternoon. That's what we have to look forward to in the Fight Corner. Well, next week we'll have more bids and snubs. Hot stove season is upon us in Major League Baseball. We'll push through both of football seasons with the first college football playoff rankings coming this coming Tuesday and much, much more. Max, take it away. Well, Sean, obviously it feels good to have the election season over. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to go because we are not again a politics show. Although I will say I do. I'm glad to have Orange here out of office. That's all I'm going to say. This black though, right here, Sean, or this portion of the show though, is dedicated to the greatest, to absolutely the greatest game show host in American history, and that's Alex Trebek, who obviously passed away of cancer this week. Uh, he was the host of Jeopardy, Sean, for over 40 years, over 40 years, but I feel like this was a very, uh, yeah, it seems like we've lost a lot this year. 2020, again, like when it comes here, has been crazy. We've lost a lot of people this year, but to lose Trebek is absolutely astronomical. One of the best, again, in the business. Just a true joy to watch. I don't know how much of a Jeopardy fan that you are, but... Uh, um, uh, I think, again, he's just the greatest. I, I'm a Jeopardy watcher. I will always... Uh, Remember Alex and all the just all the fun stuff. On a quick note, I do hope it is Ken Jennings to replace him. I think that would be sick for the show. Uh, one thing though that I always thought was important that uh, Alex Rebeck said is he said it's very important in life to know when to shut up. You should not be afraid of silence. And I think that's uh, a good way to leave off this show. We'll leave off with some silence, but before that. 
Thanks to all of our fans and listeners of the show. We could not do this without you. DJ Cumberbund, thanks for the music this week. We look forward to podcasting next week. As always, I'm Max Zucker signing off for Sean Conway. Have a good week right here on the Sportsaholic Podcast.